Today we celebrate the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In a moment, we will chant the Nicene Creed in Latin, as we do on all solemnities and Sundays of the Church year. The word creed derives from credo, I believe, which is the first word of the Latin text. The next ten lines are the content of that opening credo, so I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the Church. But in the final two lines, credo gives way to confiteor, I confess, and then to expecto, I look forward to. Here, the creed shows itself to be more than a statement of belief. It is also a statement of expectation, of longing, of hope. Expecto. What is it that I look forward to? During my university days, I once spoke to a teacher and mentor about my interest in monastic life. Drawing on his many personal visits to monasteries, he emphasized the great sacrifice this vocation entails. In a monastery, he said, you don't have all those little things that most of us spend our time looking forward to. I think he was referring to things like that frosty mug of beer that awaits you at the end of a hot Saturday in the garden, or that vacation in Florida that awaits you at the end of the winter doldrums in Chicago. Since entering the monastery, I have discovered that he was right about little things like that. But I've also discovered that there are always other little things to look forward to. These little things threaten to distract us from the one big thing that appears in the final lines of the Creed. Et expecto resurrectionem mortuorum, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead. Over the course of our lives, we have spoken or sung these words countless times at Mass, in several different languages, perhaps. Soon we will chant them again. When I do, will I mean them? Will they give expression to an expectation that actually dwells in my heart? Today offers us a way to bring our hearts into greater harmony with the Creed. On November 1, 1950, when Pope Pius XII defined the dogma of the Assumption, he wrote, it is our hope that belief in Mary's bodily assumption into heaven will make our belief in our own resurrection stronger and render it more effective. By infallibly defining Mary's assumption to be part of our credo, the Holy Father hoped to make our expecto stronger and more effective. How? One way to understand this is by looking at today's second reading from 1 Corinthians 15. In this chapter, St. Paul presents one of his fullest defenses of Christian hope in the resurrection of the dead. He begins with what scholars believe to be one of the Church's earliest creedal formulas. 
For I handed on to you as of first importance what I also received, St. Paul writes, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Then, in the section we heard a moment ago in the second reading, St. Paul draws out the implications of this creed for us. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life. To say that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection is to say that in him the harvest has already begun. He was the first and choicest of humanity's produce to be offered to God. Our resurrection will follow his just as surely as all the crops in a field ripen together. This knowledge alone might be sufficient to make our expectations stronger and more effective. But God is not a God of sufficiency. He is a God of abundance. He gives us not only the first fruits, but as we await the full yield, he gives us an abundance of other fruits as well. He sustains our expectation with many signs and witnesses to the resurrection. As St. Paul says, in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Now, in the second century of the Church's history, popular belief held that martyrs and virgins rose again with their glorified bodies immediately after their deaths, without having to wait for Christ's second coming. This lively faith in the imminence of the resurrection waned over the centuries. But at the same time, faith in Mary's bodily assumption was quietly growing. By the 7th and 8th centuries, it had become a firm conviction shared by the whole Church and celebrated liturgically on August 15th. When Pope Pius XII finally defined it as a dogma of the Church, he took care not to refer to Mary's translation into heavenly glory as a resurrection. He did so in order to distinguish what was hidden from what was public. According to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus' resurrection was witnessed by hundreds of his disciples between Easter Sunday and the Ascension. Mary's assumption, by contrast, was discovered only over time through worship and prayer, meditation on the scriptures, and theological reflection under the guidance of the Church's magisterium. In this way, her rising is closer to our own, which is likewise hidden. As Jesus says, no one knows the hour or the day. But like the Church, we can strengthen our expectation of this hidden event and make it more effective through prayer, meditation, and reflection. So, as we prepare to chant the Creed, let us remember that it is more than a statement of belief. It is also a statement of expectation, of longing, of hope. 
What is it that I truly look forward to? Mary's assumption teaches us to look forward to the fulfillment of our hopes and desires in the resurrection of the dead.